because I'm not recording in a studio. I'm recording in a cardboard box uh, with my head in a duvet. <laughs> so yeah, uh, a condenser um, would catch too great. much noise. And I'm having enough trouble getting the noise out of just the digital mics. So I'm going to see what I can get out of all the good shit. Awesome. Up, up the game. I get it. Damn, it is so f- fucking hot right now. I'm like struggling to concentrate. Oh boy, I feel I feel a little disorientated. Yeah. Which I think is actually pretty perfect for today's film. Holy dang balls. But before we get to today's film, welcome to Be Positive, the podcast where we're positive about B films, even though we don't really know what B films are. I'm Fraser. And I'm Louie. And yeah, that's us. I almost said I'm Louie again, like like last time. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I'm fine with you stealing my identity. Yeah, I think it's going to get real confused in here. Just an announcement before we go on. Uh, this comes down from Canis Radio head office somewhere in the mm-hmm. cloud city. They said that the first episode of generally kooky people should be ready in the next few weeks. Uh, and that's going to be releasing soon. And that's going to be our younger sibling podcast, but also probably the one that's going to have the most listeners. <laughs> um, I don't know whether that's a, a good or a bad projection for and for which podcast but i'm excited to hear it i'm excited to you know as an only child i've never had a sibling podcast yeah so i'm I'm pretty excited for it yeah it's gonna be good i think uh it just has a bit of a broader reach and our audience is very niche and i love all of the listeners apparently we've got like 140 regular listeners now that's not bad yeah that's damn good thanks guys thanks for listening so let's uh you know get into it. All right. Today's film, the incredible Dario Argento masterwork, Suspiria. Suspiria. And I think now now would be a good point to to just play a little a little bit of that Suspiria theme. Yeah. That goblin oh. uh, soundtrack. The only thing more terrifying than the last 12 minutes of Suspiria are the first 92. <laughs> it was that the was that the tagline for the international release of the film. Yeah, for the trailer. Uh, uh, what what exactly happens in the last 12 minutes that 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 is specifically I guess that Susie gains some traction on the nightmare realm that she's stuck in. She survives. So basically, I watched the trailer, and the trailer promised me that the climax of this film sucks. Because <laughs> the last 12 minutes no, because... is not as scary as the first 92. And for a horror film, yeah. that's kind of the opposite of what you want. Yeah, I think the trailer kind of did itself a little disservice by doing that. I didn't think they really grasped the implication of what they were saying. Yeah, pretty sure that that's a cocaine idea. Someone was like, man, man, wait, mm-hmm. wait, wait, I've got the best idea. Um, um, yeah, last 12 minutes, better than the first 92. Yeah, people love it, people love it. Yeah, do it, do it, do it. And then that's how bad ideas are born. <laughs> yeah, especially in the, in the 70s and 80s. Mm, so much coke. So I'm really happy that we're doing another giallo film. Uh, the first, the first kind of 
Giada form we've done since uh, Mario Bava's Lisa and the Devil, which is still one of my oh, faves. Oh, God, what a good movie. This was very reminiscent of Lisa and the Devil, but also updated Giallo. Yeah, um, I guess, yeah, that's something we should make clear, that this isn't really, like, old-school Giallo. This is kind of when Argento started moving into more, you know, surreal spaces and, and really kind of defining his own cinematic voice yeah again another movie where plot takes a back seat to the sense of the film so the way it feels on your skin uh when you're when you're smearing it all over your naked body yeah in in kind of viscous brightly colored globules yeah yeah so to to achieve the extremely unique sensation that the film uh, creates in you Dario Argento, as well as Luciano Tavolis, the cinematographer. I'm not sure. sure. I'm not sure how to make Italian words. We're not Italian. It's fine. Yeah, they played a lot with light. So, and color, very mm. intense, deep color. And the way that uh, Dario Argento achieved this color palette is that he acquired 1950s Technicolor stock uh, for the color effects. Yeah. So, I mean, he went underground with his color. That Technicolor and also, you know, processing it in the Technicolor way, you know, saturates the film in a way that is like reminiscent of the 50s and 60s Technicolor films, but has this kind of very violent, psychedelic effect. Yeah, it is very intense. This is a difficult movie to watch. Or I'm not, I'm not sure I, I, I agree with you. Why, why do you say that? It's not difficult because it's bad. Uh, it's difficult to watch, firstly, because Goblin did a little bit too much of an amazing job with that damn soundtrack. Combined with the visuals and the richness of the picture, I will get into all the reasons why it's difficult, but let's just say extended violence, maddening soundtrack, and very intense visuals all combined to make a hard-to-watch piece of cinema yeah 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 okay i can see that i can see that but yeah before we get into the analysis let's rattle off a quick synopsis i think for this one the synopsis can be maybe our quickest yet yeah because the plot you know as you mentioned is not really super central yeah so uh susie arrives in germany it's never confirmed to be germany but there's a sticker saying black forest yes so she arrives there to... And it's... No, it's, it is. It's uh, it's in Freiburg. Hey, there could be a Freiburg in South Africa. I guess. <laughs> but this is not... This is not the case. No. So she arrives there. She's going to a ballet school to improve her dancing skill. Uh, she goes to the ballet school. The door is locked. Woman runs out. She is distraught. She's rambling, not making any sense. She runs through the woods. Susie is turned away. Leaves, comes back the next day. Joins the school. Oh no, it's a witch coven. Oh, fire, it's over. <laughs> yeah, that's essentially the entire plot. And, you know, what really makes the movie worth it is not necessarily the plot, but how we are taken on, on Susie's journey of discovery. Yeah. Today's episode sinisterly sponsored by The Color Red. Red, the color of apples. Red, the color of love. Red, the color of your mother's nail polish. Red, like freshly spilled blood. Red, like the eye staring at you from the darkest corner of your room. Red, 
like the tongue lolling from the mouth of the figure creeping up on you from the same shadow. The color red is in no way responsible for any death or dismemberment caused by this ad. Red, in association with blue and yellow. The first note I wrote almost immediately when the film started is just the word COLOR in all caps. <laughs> yeah. My first note was very intense soundtrack goblin. So <laughs> we're, we're on opposite sides of the disturbed spectrum here. Although my second note is just one word, all caps, MUSIC. <laughs> yeah. So in the film, we have three main colors that uh, Argento plays with. We have very sickly intense yellow, mm-hmm. a very deep neon but it's not even like a neon type color blue it's a very unnatural blue but it's very deep and it's very solid yeah uh it's hard to describe but it's kind of light but kind of dark i I think it's like primary blue 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 oh the blue blue. really deep saturated primary blue all right and then we get this bright red this eye-searing red yeah in the in that red scale he also plays with this really violent kind of neon pink yeah um which i also love the pink sort of precedes the red the red is to me Mm. almost a character in the film yeah absolutely in the school we have basically three three rooms or three environments we have the blue room the red room and the yellow room and i believe also they're referred to as such in the film so the blue room is where Susie first meets the administrators what are their names it's the vice headmistress of the school is Madame Blanc and one of the teachers but also kind of in a leading position is Miss Tanner yeah Miss Tanner is the the stern ballet instructor so in the blue room she meets Miss Tanner and Miss Blanc and also in the blue room, there's a staircase gilded in golden snakes. This room, it's the entryway or the foyer of the of the school. The blue in that room is this incredible, lush, blue velvet wallpaper. Yeah. It's such an intense effect on it because usually blue is kind of associated with tranquility, calmness, those kinds of emotions. But here the blue... Also, you know, in that sharp contrast with the gold railing and some wonderful splashes of red that Argento works into the design there. It gives this really foreboding, almost gothic feeling to the aesthetic. Yeah, the blue really to me was almost a personification of anxiety. Yeah, that's really interesting because in in a lot of the scenes where one of the characters are, are like in deep trouble... Or if they're really disconcerted, we, we get that deep blue lighting. That's actually leading slightly into my, probably my biggest theory, but one that I would like to take through the whole discussion, that the film okay. is depicting a visual tour or representation of schizophrenia. Interesting. The red is, to me, a character in the film just because of the way that the camera reacts to the red. So when Red comes into the film, the camera gets an almost Evil Dead-esque type of movement style where Mm -hmm. the camera seems really to be stalking the characters. 
It's coming at them from a strange yeah. angle. Uh, they can't see it, but you can tell that the camera is predatory in nature. Yeah, absolutely. This predatory nature of the red, the shade of red in the film, to me, implies that red is a personification of intrusive thoughts Interesting. Uh, in my schizophrenia metaphor. There's a kind of a related idea, I think, about whose POV we're seeing, though I, I'm associating it with the, with the soundtrack rather than the colors, yeah. is, you know, when we hear the theme, you know, there's a point where you also hear these kind of sighs and, and whispers. Yeah. It's something that I kind of struggled with a bit when watching the film, because the sighs seem to be somewhere between diegetic and non-diegetic because it's, it's clearly in the soundtrack, it's part of the score, but sometimes it seems as though the characters are reacting to the sighs and whispers in the score. Yeah. And it's often during those moments where the theme is being played that we get that kind of stalking, prowling camera work. And it seems to me as if in those points the camera is kind of taking on the POV of Helena Marcos, the main witch the mother of size. The soundtrack also sort of let you know when reality was about to skew. I don't know if it's just a copy of the film that I had, but the soundtrack versus actual dialogue, they weren't synced up well, so the soundtrack was super loud and the dialogue was super soft. So I had to constantly be adjusting the volume because that soundtrack, man, it's so intense that I was afraid that my Chinese neighbors would phone the cops if it were playing as loudly as it did. Because it starts slow, it's like sighs and whispers, and then it becomes muttering chants and like discordant notes, and eventually it becomes cacophonous. Yeah, absolutely. It's, man, I think it's just another example of really poor sound mixing. Yeah. Um, and it, uh, it annoys me so much to be constantly like having to play with the volume. I have to say I'm a bit of a, a stickler for sound quality. Sound quality. Sound quality. But I guess, you know, we could also read it as as the soundtrack being this kind of malevolent force that penetrates the film, that kind of overwhelms you, the viewer, and the film, you know? Yeah, but that's also the... The soundtrack and the color red are very much intertwined because mm. it's only at its the soundtracks at its most manic and cacophonous when the red is at its deepest. So yeah, that's also why I see the red as intrusive thoughts because at first they're quiet, they're just sort of in the background, but eventually they drown out reality, where you'll you'll have two characters still carrying on the dialogue, but the intrusive thoughts get so loud that you have no idea what they're saying. They're talking, yeah. but all you can hear is the screams and this occasional muffled scream of witch. It's very intense. And I feel it just, it adds to my theory that this is very much an intrusive thought metaphor. Yeah, I definitely agree that the things that exist on the meta of the film, you know, the film making process, the light, the music, the setting, the design, really gives that idea of being kind of something out of place, something that threatens the symbolic order of the characters' lives. Something that, you know, intrudes and is unwelcome, in a sense. But again, the dialogue isn't important. The effect that the red gives you is visceral. Yeah. Whenever the camera started moving that way and the soundtrack jumped up, I could feel it in my body 
the intensity of, of what was happening, more than even the actual action on the screen. So, mm. as you said, it's those background, the meta elements of the film that really come through and shine. The actors did a great job as well, but the, I mean, the sets are lavishly decorated in, oh, in true giallo incredible. style. Oh, man, they're so, like, excessive and lush yeah. and, like, gothic and baroque. It's, yeah, they're, they're really beautiful. Uh, we'll definitely post a whole bunch of those images on the Facebook page. It's just so amazing. Uh, this form visually is stunning. Yeah, I think you could take literally any frame of this film and it could be your, you know, desktop background. Yeah, there's also, and in a second I want to get into this scene or the sequence where the woman that we see running from the school right at the beginning, uh, Pat. Yeah, Patty. She runs... Or Pat. Yeah, yeah she runs to her, her friend's house and she goes into a bedroom there and apparently, I read this, that the bedroom, the wallpaper is modeled after M.C. Escher's Sky and Water. Really? Yeah. Even the wallpaper, especially the wallpaper, actually, is very, very mm. artistic. And I'm sure that Argento put a lot of thought into every tiny visual detail. Absolutely. You know, it adds a lot of texture to, to the use of color as well yeah another interesting note on the color in in that scene in particular in pat's murder scene is that it seems to me that while these kind of you know these harsh saturated colors indicate danger or a threat or something beyond the logical beyond the real it seems that argento uses pastel colors to suppose places of safety or comfort yeah which to me really stands out when she's in the bathroom after being chased through the rain you know it's this soft pink pastel wallpaper with these doves and dove and, and fish motifs and it seems like she's finally found a place where she can be safe but then we see the wide of the window from the outside and it's this small little pastel space that is completely surrounded by the blue and the red and of course um you know just a couple of seconds after that she's brutally murdered in the bathroom and, and in a sense Argento is telling us there that no space is safe from from these colors or this malevolent force her death is it's really where Argento lays its cards all on the table and he's like you know what this is not gonna be fun you're gonna watch some yeah very extensive murder sequences. Not excessively gory by today's standards, not after we had the type of gore porn that we've seen in Saw or Hostel or films like mm -hmm. that, but they carry on for so long. Yeah, that's what really makes these horrifying is the, the, the length of the shots. Pat, she gets stabbed, right? At least 30 times. Yeah, she gets stabbed a bunch all like one long sequence where you just see a knife stabbing into her chest and stomach over and over again what i really loved is like you see the stab and right at the point of penetration there's a little um flash of of a pink special light on on the stab yeah and you know that along with them being in these really close close-ups the deep but unrealistic red of the blood. Yeah, they're really like 
affective the the murder sequences. I mean, she's screaming, her friends trying to get into the room. She somehow ends up on the roof of the lobby. Her friends running out to mm-hmm. to get help, and then Pat's head gets smashed through the glass, the stained glass window right at the top of of the lobby. The skylight. But also, I mean, it's just not plain glass. It's this multi multicolored. What do you call that? Mosaic, almost. Yeah, yeah. I guess it, it's it's stained glass. Yeah, in like a, a pattern, a, like a decorative pattern. Yeah. She then falls through the glass, plummeting. Hopefully she was dead at that point, but then plummeting quite a ways down. The camera pans from her severely lacerated body over to where her friend lies, almost in a crucified position. Mm. And she is tore up by the glass she's got a huge chunk that split her face in half yeah just like embedded in her head um some really heavy glass the crucifixion itself as a visual metaphor it's usually the sacrifice of an innocent but in this film perhaps if the red is seen as intrusive thoughts the red flashes when pat is stabbed seen as intrusive thoughts having an effect on reality then this could be visually an illustration that innocent people can die from a manic episode or a psychotic break i don't know that's maybe a bit of a stretch but i like stretching yeah well we gotta you know gotta gotta limber up gotta get warm gotta stretch it definitely has to do with a crossing of the boundary of the real because for instance and i think this is true for most of the murder sequences or or most of the sequences that are like fast-paced and intense is that it doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense yeah like as you said how do they get up on the roof we don't really know and you know the killer bursts through the bathroom window and smashes her face through the glass but you know where is the killer standing it's up on like one of the top floors of the building and we see the window from the outside and there's no indication of a killer being there and we in fact we never find out who pat's killer is yeah all we know is it's a hairy arm with clawed fingers yeah and it's almost as if the killer literally just is an arm yeah that you know flew up to the window and pulled her through it up to the roof yeah. and and it kind of really adds to how how the how the death scene affects you because it is so illogical and yet you only realize that it's irrational afterwards uh, i also read somewhere that this film is sort of supposed to uh reflect a sense of being trapped in a nightmare mm. and and that would also explain the logical jumps that it takes for characters to move around pretty much anywhere especially in the school and especially that killer how how anything about that killer the the film has this like dreamlike quality to it and and you know dream dreamlike going into nightmare like of yeah. course very reminiscent of lisa and the devil of again yeah absolutely i think there are some shots especially in in the hallway running sequences that really evoked lisa and the devil for me 
Yeah. But this nightmare sense of the film, you know, also neatly ties into what Susie's going through in the film, where she's kind of being drugged, sort of hypnotized by the coven, and she herself can't really trust her senses. And in the same way, we can't really trust the film. Yeah. So uh, Susie, at first, she's not staying in the school. She lives off campus, but then goes in for a first training session. And they're dancing in the yellow room. And she feels faint. She's not into it. They force her to dance. She attempts to dance, but inevitably she collapses and has just the world's most Massive nosebleed. Nose and mouth bleed. So I'm pretty sure she hemorrhaged something. Yeah. Yeah. And then the the yellow, I thought it would be paranoia in my grand metaphor of schizophrenia, but I don't feel I can tie it neatly to paranoia. I wonder, because the yellow room also, it is kind of yellow, but it's, it's like less harshly colored than, for instance, the red room or the blue room. Yeah. And yellow is, is used less throughout the film where where else does yellow come up it doesn't come up that much actually white comes up more often than the yellow mm. uh, the white notably coming up in the scene where the blind pianist after he's fired because Oof. his dog apparent his seeing eye dog apparently attacked one of the hillbillies who works there yeah it was miss tanner's nephew who is a very a very strange child who is always accompanied by a very strange, silent matron. This child being directly shipped in from Children of the Corn. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, so they, they claim that the dog bit the child. We never see the child. This uh, pianist, I believe his name is Daniel. He's fired on the spot. Mm -hmm. He charges out, gets his dog, and he goes out into the real world. So, theoretically, he should be safe now, having escaped the madness of the ballet school. But as he's walking, his dog starts reacting to, to a presence. His dog's not happy, it's barking, it's visibly uncomfortable. They're standing in this massive courtyard, and again, amazing set work. Yeah, incredible. You have this massive courtyard, and then these two uh, stark white buildings, Everything else is black. Or the pianist stands in the only spot of light amidst the black, which could also be yeah. sort of an indication or uh, just a visual representation of what it's like to be blind. As in, yeah, he only really knows what's going on around him. The rest is blank. His dog is also mainly his only visual uh, lifeline. So he's like saying, oh, what's yeah. up? What's up, Lassie? What's happening? Why, why are you freaking out? Who's there? What's there? Uh, Lassie clearly had enough of his shit because the dog then jumps up and rips his throat out. Uh, yeah, and then like chows down on him. Yeah, his loyal like, companion. Literally eats him. It, it's the stark white followed by just super, super violent death by a dog. And it, it sort of indicates a breakdown of trust and the ability to trust or or to expect loyalty in another yeah absolutely it shows also you know that that the witches's pernicious influence 
you know, stretches beyond the school and, in fact, you know, is starting to affect the entire town, the whole city. Yeah, her power isn't bound simply to the school. Yeah, and that scene was also, I think, doubly terrifying for me because I expected the first murderer, Pat's murderer, yeah. to, to make a second appearance, maybe get some more clues about who he is. But then all of a sudden, you know, the dog just snaps and attacks him. And it's at that point that I felt like the, the paranormal side of it really came out. You have to stop expecting to know what's coming. Yeah. Reality and uh, your expectations, they don't really have an effect where the thing that you least expect to happen is probably going to happen. And that's great filmmaking because so many... So many movies you watch, they're very predictable. Yeah. Suspiria really, it broke that mold somewhat. Even though the ending was like a classic cliche victory to the... The final girl. Yeah, the final girl. She survives and she ends the whole nightmare, but you don't... By the end, you're not expecting her to survive. You're not expecting her to succeed. Because it's not like yeah. she's trying to overcome the witch. The sense I got in the climax, in the, you know, the shitty 12 minutes after the awesome 92 minutes, <laughs> according to the trailer, I enjoyed it. But she's basically just stumbling through the school in like a, in a daze. Yeah. This episode brought to you by Noisy Environments. Do you want to force your editor to spend hours painfully scrubbing audio files? Simply order a noisy environment. We've got traffic, birdsong, dogs barking, construction noises, and all the noise you need to annoy your editor. Simply go to ah.com slash b to start your free trial today. She gets attacked by a big-ass bat, and then she crushes the shit out of that bat. That is one dead bat. She really kills the fucking hell out of that bat, man. Like, yeah. I thought she was just gonna throw him out the window or something. Yeah, she throws no. a towel over him, and then I'm like, okay, cool. Now you're gonna pick him up, and you're gonna place him outside. Nah, dog. She picks up a stool and starts smashing the hell out of him. Yeah, just like, I mean, after he's clearly already dead. Yeah. But then again, you get the, the towel is stark white and the red blood coming mm. through the towel is sort of that pinkish hue indicating that the red is coming back. Something intense, you know, more intense than giant yeah. bat attack is, is coming. Yeah, absolutely. And on the, the Sonic side, of course, this is kind of like Helena Marcos, the coven leader, trying to push Susie back because she's on her way to stumbling onto the truth about the school. Yeah. There's, like, she she tries a bunch of things to try and keep Susie away, and I think the bat is, is one of them. And, of course, an, also an animal that navigates by sound. So Susie then, she's stumbling through the school. I couldn't really make out rhyme or reason to the way that this was happening, although it was very late. Maybe one or two in the morning when I was watching. Well, she she discovers the secret entrance, right? Yeah. So this is the secret entrance into the, I don't know, I guess the witch side of the school. 
to the inner sanctum. Yeah, but it seems really cavernous. It's almost bigger than the rest of the school. It's it's like this huge complex of hallways and rooms and tunnels and things, which I found was also, you know, something that kind of emphasized the dreamlike quality of the film. And it, it becomes this this labyrinth that, that Susie has to move through you know to find the the monster at the center yeah so when she does find the monster at the center the palette shifts no longer it's still lavish wallpaper and man actually at the end that's the wallpaper i want in my house it's (laughs) it's like this pitch black wallpaper inlaid with with gold and it's all of these latin words i actually spotted like occult and and words like that all over the walls just to give it that spooky vibe it's 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 latin and hebrew and um german so it seems to like be bringing together all the all the pagan and and kind of mystical traditions yeah but so the palette switches to black when she reaches the inner sanctum and then, notably, when she actually goes into the witch's room, into her lair, it's very dark. But there are still hints of blue and red uh, littered throughout the, throughout the scene. So, before we discuss the actual climax, the final battle, I feel like we have to mention uh, Susie's friend in the school. Sort of her roommate. Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. Sarah. It's quite tragic. She, Sarah is vividly aware that something is wrong she is losing sleep she's staying up at night she's trying to figure out what the hell is wrong with the school what's going on many times you see her shaking Susie awake during the night and Susie gives these sort of half-baked answers and she's struggling to stay awake and not really succeeding in staying awake and Sarah is getting more and more panicked what happens to Sarah because she flees um the footsteps well, she yeah because sarah is she was pat's best friend and pat had started making notes about all the suspicious things that teachers were doing in the school i think she discovered the coven but you know as far as sarah was aware she was beginning to discover the coven and she tells Susie about pat's notes that she was keeping while they're swimming which is also like a very memorable shot but when they get back to their rooms, uh, someone has stolen all of Pat's notes out of out of Sarah's room. So she knows the powers that be are onto her and know that she's looking into them. Yeah. So she's she that night she hears, hears footsteps coming to her room and she escapes or attempts to escape. A chase ensues where she is tormented and sort of smashes through various glass glass windows. Mm-hmm. She ends up... Does she climb through a window or find a secret doorway? She climbs through a tiny window and ends up in another room. Yeah. She falls into a pit uh, that's filled with barbed wire. Yeah. And then we stay on that for like... It feels like 10 minutes. Yeah, where she's just writhing, trying to escape and slowly succumbing to the barbed wire. So I think I think that's uh, a pretty clear inspiration of uh, for a specific 
saw trap actually yeah but yeah that scene is really hectic and apparently it was really awful for the actress as well because even though obviously it isn't barbed wire it's still just a bunch of you know wire coils lying on a floor and she like legitimately got stuck and like got um pinched and cut by the wire wow it sort of feels like argento doesn't care about his, his act, actors or actresses, especially the actresses. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think so. Sarah is dead, and we watched her die for a very long time. So when Susie enters the witch's domain, the witch summons Sarah's corpse, so we get a bit of zombie action. Sarah's corpse then, wielding a knife, attacks or attempts to attack Susie. Yeah. While the witch the witch is invisible at this point. Something that was kind of a cheap thing to me when the witch was sitting there invisible mm-hmm. is that she shimmers in this animated yellow light around her her out, yeah, this, outlines her. Um... And that's very cartoony. I didn't enjoy that. It was sort of the only point where the visuals uh, disappointed me. What exactly? Where was the light that that shimmered on her coming from? That was just an indication that she was still sitting on the bed, so that Susie would know where to stab. Because I I found that really interesting in the sense that you know throughout the movie, Marcus has been a very auditory presence. For instance, while they're sleeping in the, I mean, this is another couple of scenes that we we haven't even touched on but when they're sleeping in the practice hall yeah the blanket fort of doom yeah this really weird pink womb dormitory and the shadow of of the directress snoring gently behind them and of course we hear her voice when she glimmers or glamours or whatever she puts a hex on on Susie and at that point she also becomes just a voice you know when she's invisible yeah but susie you know by by virtue of this terrible special effect can can see her and stab her with a a shard of glass and she she stabs her through the throat you know the voice the voice producing part of the body that is true also silencing the intrusive thoughts yeah so what actually leads to the scene in the blanket fort and this is actually I'm ashamed that we missed it, is that yeah. Susie is combing her hair and she finds a worm, like a maggot, in her hair. And she's like, whoa, this is nasty. Uh, so she combs a bit and another worm, she's like, whoa, my head is full of worms. She checks the comb, <laughs> comb is full of worms. Naturally, and this was one of the best bits of acting I've ever seen, because most of this movie is... Uh, over-the-top theatrical sort of uh, almost Shakespearean Mm. acting in a way. And this was just so natural, such a natural reaction of internalizing the fact that there are worms in her hair. She's trying to get them out and she sort of just starts freaking out, runs away. It's very well done. I was very impressed and I was compelled to check my hair for any worms. I didn't yeah. find any. You you see that, and then you go like, "Ooh, that's gross," 
and then it's revealed that the entire ceiling of the entire floor is crawling with these maggots. Oh. It really it really gave me a little a little wave of sickness when yeah. I saw that. It was, oh, it was intense. It was disturbing. They then say we're gonna investigate these maggots. So they send two people up into the attic and they find a chest filled with human body parts. And that's the weird thing about this movie. Uh, one of the weird things about this movie is that despite the murders happening around the school and the dismembered human remains being found in the ceiling, there's not much of an effect on the characters. The murders, the deaths, the dismemberment, it's all just sort of background noise. It doesn't really have... Yeah. It doesn't produce a, an emotional response in in the the characters yeah that's something i found i think the only two who really respond to it of course are, are Susie and sarah and all the other characters have this really strange almost aggressive or or menacing quality to them yeah. but also quite cold yeah which you know makes them kind of uncanny and and strange like of course the witches but also the other students are are all I don't really know what what the word is, but kind of aloof and mean. Yeah, there's just something not quite right. Also, in um, especially in the cinematography, I noticed that uh, Luciano Tovolis plays a lot with symmetry, where mm -hmm. the shots appear to be perfectly symmetrical, but uh, some of them are just slightly skewed or slightly off, just like the characters does create an intense feeling of, of unease, of yeah. this unnatural dread, and it creeps up on you. You're not fully aware of what's happening, but subconsciously you're picking up on all of these little cues. And it does this very effective, uh, very affective movie. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's if, if you want to explain the term psychological thriller to someone, yeah. Um, this this would be a good place to start. Yeah. After Susie stabs the witch through the throat, she, uh, well, the house, the school, then starts to implode. Basically, the walls crack and the school burns down. Susie escapes and just like a nightmare, it ends abruptly. Susie exits the school. The camera gets stuck on a window. The fire is raging on the inside of the window. You can hear a wailing and a gnashing of teeth and credits. It really seems like no one else got out of the school. Yeah, but I think the thinking here is that everyone else in the school, besides Pat, uh, who's deceased, Sarah, who's deceased, and Susie, who is potentially schizophrenic now, everyone else was a witch. I guess that is the implication, right? That the, that the other kids are in on it yeah because the school has been accused in the past of teaching occult practices yeah apparently Dario argento's wife daria nicoladini i don't know she co-wrote this movie with him oh yeah and a lot of these stories come from her grandmother who went to a a school, a girl's school where black magic was sometimes practiced. What? Europeans are weird, man. Man, I want to go to that school. It sounds amazing. <laughs> it's like the real life Hogwarts. Yeah. You know, black magic is the best magic. 
Suspiria is is German Hogwarts. <laughs> okay, I don't want to go to Suspiria Academy. That sounds awful. Dario Argento has, in the past, because of his portrayal of women and his insistence on victims in his films being mainly female, uh, and also just the way he acts towards women, he has been accused of hating women, and he has stated many times that he doesn't hate women. Someone is going to die in a horror movie anyway. So it might as well be a beautiful woman so that there is at least something pretty to look at on the screen. That statement <laughs> is just highly indicative of the fact that two Dario Argento women are objects. Yeah, that's not really the best way for him to um, to put those allegations to rest, huh? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, because of his focus on on the aesthetic and also i suppose coming out of the tradition of italian art yeah he often he often uses women's bodies as as set dressing essentially yeah but you know the hero of the story is also female so i guess it is ambiguous but she isn't a very strong hero she's sort of an accidental hero yeah Uh, she stumbles her way into saving the the day ending the terror that's true which i suppose is a kind of a a lovecraftian thing where you know just an everyday normal person is confronted by you know something which goes beyond their understanding of the world yeah originally argento wanted to make this film with 12 year old girls whoa no thank you mr argento no no sorry bob and the thing is he that's how he wrote it initially as as them being you know young kind of schoolgirls yeah and then his dad and the producer of the movie kind of kiboshed that yeah. thankfully thankfully um, but he he didn't change the dialogue oh yeah so so that's why kind of some of the dialogue sounds a little weirdly naive and childish yeah. for for women of their age yeah, that's actually amazing. Uh, the thing I wanted to, one of my last, I mean, pretty much the last thing I have to say is that uh, it's a bit of mise-en-scene that the film's door handles are slightly high, creating the effect that the actors are all juvenile. And I thought it was just playing on the fact that the witch is this ancient entity, but in fact, it's just supposed to be 12-year-olds. It works both ways, right? Like, yeah. it makes the... T- the the students kind of small and and vulnerable yeah this was an amazing movie it it left a big mark on me just visually it was such a treat and uh, yeah a really interesting different take on horror and obviously yeah influential as well yeah and also what it did was to me perfected uh giallo even though it was in many ways, post-Giallo. Yeah. And that's not an actual... I mean, post-Giallo is just something I said right now. It just means it sort of came after Giallo, but it was sort of also Giallo. I'm not making shit up, I swear. <laughs> I mean, you kind of are, but it's fine. Yeah. Um, I think post-Giallo is, is is a classificatory term that we can use. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, a, it's a stylistic achievement. Of note. Yeah, definitely going in one of my top top 10 movies of all time. Wow, that's uh, 
some pretty high praise. Yeah. I won't be watching it again soon, though, because mmm, damn. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I'm excited to do is to watch the second and third films in this trilogy. Oh, apparently they're bad. Really? Yeah, I've, I, I've heard bad things. They don't live up to the first but they never do, I guess. Yeah. Uh, what I also really enjoyed about it, uh, the number of like literary and artistic references. Yeah. For instance, I think the house at the end crumbling with the death of Helena Marcos is to me kind of a maybe a, an homage or a tribute or whatever to Edgar Allan Poe's um, The Fall of the House of Usher. Oh, yeah. Where, you know, it, 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 it solidifies this idea that the the very architecture of the building, the very structure of the setting is is tied with a, a specific character. And then when she dies, the whole edifice dies with her. Yeah, so if you had to rate this film out of the number of maggots you would have to find in your hair before freaking out and running away, how many maggots? Are you prepared to find in your hair? I'm giving this film a full crate of maggots. Yeah. Uh, I'm giving this film a full crate of dismembered human parts covered in maggots. <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't know, um, but it's provocative. It's, that's, that's all that counts when it comes to rating films. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for this. This was such a great movie. Yeah, it was amazing. You know, while I was watching it, I thought, ooh, this is a tough one. Uh, what am I going to say? But it's not a really easy to talk about. Very nice. A lot, of, a lot of detail, a lot of depth. Yeah, and, and I think it's also, like, very open to interpretation, mm. which, which I like. Yeah, that's my kind of movie. So if you guys have any interesting interpretations of Suspiria... If you think there's something we missed out on or, you know, anything you want to bring up, hit us up on that Facebook. Let us know what you think. Yeah, we still have a two minute response time. So, you know, hit us up, chat with us, comment uh, where, where the rest of the followers can also comment. And maybe in the future we can look into creating a dedicated group for our listeners to actually uh, communicate to one another one another yeah and also we're always open to suggestions or requests as always you stay scary it's too too spooky for me bub <laughs> i forgot that i had to have a catchphrase oh man what that's fine that's part of our charm yes we are very charming yes we are charming boys um, and we do a quick